Congressional term limits broke through last week as an issue in the race for the Democratic presidential nomination. Hi, I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the term limits movement for the week of June 10th, 2019. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. We are thrilled to report this news, but we're also reminded by other news that rotation in office isn't only beneficial for governmental organizations. In addition to politicians, where else have term limits found a home? Nick Tombalides, Executive Director of U.S. Tournaments, knows. Hey, Nick. Well, the big news this week, Nick, is that uh, Beto O'Rourke, candidate for President of the United States for the Democratic Party, has put forth a package of uh, voting reforms, and at the center of it is something dear to our hearts, congressional term limits. You, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We were hoping that somebody would come forward and make this a center of their campaign, and it looks like someone has. Finally, Mazel tov. Uh, excited to see it, right? <laughs> sure. uh, yeah, I've been asking for a long time. There are over 20 Democratic candidates running for this position, and they all seem to have very similar platforms. I've been wondering who's going to try to differentiate themselves, and it looks like this is the first step in the right direction because he is the only prominent candidate who is making this a focal point of his campaign. And this was an announcement that was very well received among mainstream mm-hmm. media, among voters, among uh, left-wing journalists, right-wing journalists. People were kind of excited about this because it's something different. Instead of just saying, these are the policies I want, he's saying, I want to totally transform Washington. I want to fix the way business is done there. And I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. That's right. Let's hear him talk about it. This is from uh, CBS News last week. We have term limits for president. He or she can only serve eight years maximum. Term limits for the mayor of El Paso, also eight years. So we try to think about what's the amount of time needed for a member of Congress to be able to make a difference. Six terms in the House, which is 12 years, or two terms in the Senate, also 12 years, should be enough to be able to confront those challenges that you were elected to confront, to to move the ball forward on those things that you want to pursue, and then to get out of the way so that our democracy and our institutions are reflective of the people of this country. Uh, There's a proposal that would have uh, five Democratic justices, five Republican justices, who would then elect another five justices. In my opinion, that, that further entrenches or enshrines the partisanship that we're seeing play out in the court right now. Instead, I think having term limits, which perhaps reduces the level of, of partisanship and certainly the, the anxiety and the, the bitterness of, of the discourse leading up to those confirmation proceedings, I think that can be, be um, even more helpful. One um, complaint I have about it, though, is that he's going with the weaker 12-year limit. Um, even though when he was in the Congress, he was a um, signatory of the U.S. Tournament's pledge that um, held him for a six-year limit in the House and 12-year in the Senate. And he was also on the bill to do just that. He was on the U.S. Tournament's Amendment bill. So he definitely fulfilled his obligations in the ha- when he was in Congress. But I was disappointed to see him come out with the 12 number now that he's um, on this bigger stage. It's disappointing, um, but it's certainly not too surprising. What tends to happen with these politicians is when they first run for office, they're close to the voters, listening to us uh, as often as they can. That's probably why he signed the U.S. Term Limits Pledge. But once Mm -hmm. they kind of rise in the ranks and they become more senior, they become more part of the system, they uh, increasingly stop listening to the people and listen more to these Beltway consultants. These I I like to 
sometimes colloquially refer to them as bloodsuckers, um, telling them what to do, <laughs> right, sure. telling them how to market their campaign. And those folks are really no fans of of term limits. So I'm sure it, it, it might be something the consultants came up with. I don't know. It's just a positive thing to see them talking about term limits uh, in the first place. It is. It's a very positive thing. And it's also not an actual firm. Uh, it's not a bill or anything. It's not a firm plan. Um, this is basically a talking point. I mean, this is a package of things that he likes to do. It's aspirational. The um, there's over 60 people in the Congress that would be required to vote on such on this thing that have signed a pledge saying that they would not support a longer limit than six terms in the House. So it's not a practical thing to think that a 12-year tournament would get through the Congress. So no, I I agree. I was totally excited about it. I'd love to see the press coverage it got. I'd love to see the uh, acclaim it got from the public, and um, I want to see it show up as a a debate point between the candidates running for the presidential nomination. Yeah. And and I haven't really seen a lot of uh, opposition to it. Sometimes yeah. just for balance, these articles have put in a few quotes about why term limits are terrible. And surprise, surprise, all the quotes come from politicians and lobbyists. Earth to the media. That That is a conflict of interest. Find somebody objective. I challenge you to find anyone objective on this planet who has a, a, a <laughs> real legitimate gripe with term limits. You will not find that person because they really don't exist. Anyone who's against this is somehow connected to the political class, and I'm grateful that uh, that Beto's announcement is helping to reveal that. Hi, this is Scott Tillman, the National Field Director with U.S. Term Limits. We asked candidates for state legislature to sign a pledge to help us get congressional term limits. The pledge reads... I pledge that as a member of the state legislature, I will co-sponsor, vote for, and defend the resolution applying for an Article 5 convention for the sole purpose of enacting term limits on Congress. There are only a few states having legislative elections in 2019. We have had 13 candidates take the pledge this week. We now have 20 candidates in Mississippi, 12 candidates in Louisiana, one candidate in New Jersey, and 11 candidates in Virginia who have signed the pledge to support congressional term limits of state legislatures. We also have three candidates in an Alabama special election who have pledged to defend the resolution already approved by the Alabama state legislature. If you have access to a candidate, please ask them to sign our pledge. Pledges are available at termlimits.com. Another interesting announcement last week, Kevin Hassett, uh, for the last two years, has served as the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors for the president. And this is basically the chief advisor um, on economics. He left the position last week and made an announcement. And um, the reasons why he left, I think, really give us some insight on uh, what is important about term limits, even though he really didn't face a codified term limit. Uh, let's hear that. He was on uh, CNBC last week talking about why he's leaving. Joining us right now is the man himself, White House Council of Economic Advisors Chairman Kevin Hassett. You've been there as the head of the CEA since September of 2017, so it's a little less than two years, but you are one of the longer-serving uh, people in the administration. Right. I realize it's a, a tough workload. There's a lot that goes on, but with the announcement of these Mexico tariffs coming just last week, uh, a lot of people wondering, is that why you're leaving? Oh, no. You know, I, I mean, this is something that's been in the works for a little while. And actually, I've been there for almost exactly two years because before I was confirmed, I started to work as a consultant in the White House. And so I started the 1st of June or something like that uh, about two years ago. And if you look at the history of the CEA, it's very normal for the CEA chair to move on after about two years. And I think it's really quite healthy for the organization because the CEA is supposed to be the subjective economic body, you know, rather than a, a political animal. And I think the longer you stay in the White House, the closer you get with everybody in the West wing, you know, the harder it might be to be objective. And so I'm, as you know, a student of uh, CEA, and, and I think it's really a good thing that, you know, uh, President Clinton 
had, I guess, uh, four CEA chairs. I think President Bush had five. Uh, President Obama had four. I think that's about the right pace for the job. So, but why do you want to leave? Oh, I think that it's really partly respect for, for the institution and the sort of normal two-year uh, role. And then there's also just wanting to go back and spend time with my family. I've got, uh, you know, a youngest kid who's going off to college in a year, wouldn't mind seeing a senior year, things like that. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's absolutely just normal circle of life kind of stuff. He's not a politician. No. He's not elected. He's appointed. He's not accountable to voters, but he still acknowledges that this is a good idea. Right. I think it's interesting the way that he shows how you can become part of the administration by working with it over a period of time when you originally came in as an independent advisor to the administration. And that would require refreshing this position from time to time. Yeah, it's definitely good to see someone who is admitting that sometimes your objectivity can get compromised when you become too close to a system and that it, a regular refreshment is a positive thing, whether you're elected or not. It just has kind of a, a reinvigorating effect on that position and makes sure that person can be a true advisor rather than just a loyalist or a lapdog for whoever appointed them. Right. And, you know, it's uh, I think it's part of a broader discussion about uh, non-political term limits in general. I was testifying at a a legislative committee not too long ago, I think it was here in Florida, and um, one of the legislators confronted me. He said, would you let a member of your board of directors only serve eight years? I was trying to pat, uh, argue for term limits on school boards. He said, would you let a member of your board of directors serve for only eight years? Hmm. Uh, you know, And I, I had to inform him that the average tenure for a director on an S&P 500 board is approximately eight years. <laughs> That's right. There, there are there are <laughs> eight um, is enough. Yeah, eight is enough. There are a whole host of apolitical term limits out there. As people increasingly uh, acknowledge that fresh ideas and refreshment are healthy for any system, no matter where you are, if you're given power, sure. you're going to have a tendency to become more entrenched, and it's going to compromise your ability to do your job. And so we're seeing non-political term limits uh, get traction uh, everywhere. Right. It's interesting when you look at the corporate boards, as you mentioned, it's about eight years for a large cap company uh, for their uh, board members. You know, for smaller companies in the Russell 2000, that number is closer to six years uh, as the median tenure. So it's uh, fascinating that profit-seeking companies, they see the value of having that constant refreshment and they get reminded because whether they're succeeding or not shows up in their financial statements. And they're looking for ways to change their governance in order to improve those results. And they're looking at it very closely. And we've seen the tenure of board members and of CEOs continue to decrease to these numbers over time. But interestingly, they do this without codified term limits. Very few, although it's a growing number, uh, less than 5% of S&P 500 boards use codified term limits mandating that someone leave after a certain time. Although most of them do have age limits, by the way, that are mandated. But um, it's actually fairly unusual in the S&P 500 companies. But on the nonprofit side, we see something very different. Most nonprofit boards have codified term limits of one kind or another, on either on the chairman or on the boards themselves. Um, I saw some figures that suggested that about 70% of chairmen of nonprofit boards have term limits. And about 60% of most boards, board members, uh, face term limits. And this is something that is a consensus view of organizations that promote better board governance and consultants that help companies improve their board governance. 
they support the idea of having termlets on these boards. Yeah, and there are a whole host of benefits uh, for doing that. First of all, in any organization, you eventually run into some board members who aren't doing their job effectively. Uh, this is sort of a graceful and painless way for those people to retire uh, without having to force right. them out and start uh, a huge brouhaha over it. Right. Um, I think I think it also helps you get a higher quality of person because you know when you're appointing someone to a board, if they're prospective, they haven't been added to the board yet, they're going to be more likely to join if they know that there's a, a set amount of time and energy that they need to commit as opposed to just joining indefinitely. This is a public service announcement. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas is the sponsor of the U.S. Terminalist Amendment Bill in the U.S. Senate. Here is Senator Cruz making his case at CPAC 2017 in Washington, D.C. You look across this country, people are fed up with Washington. This election was the American people saying enough already with the corruption in Washington. And it's both parties. It's Democrats and Republicans who have been here too long, who become captured by this city. And, and if you look at... President Trump campaigned on draining the swamp, on term limits. You look at congressional leaders. we got majorities in both houses. I think we ought to demonstrate that we heard the voters bring up term limits, pass it, send it to the states for ratification. And what's amazing is the support for this, it cuts across in this polarized time. You get super majorities of Republicans, of Democrats, of independents who all say throw the bums out. And we ought to listen. We have so many high-profile examples of organizations where a lack of term limits has produced um, corruption and has uh, fostered malfeasance, misfeasance, uh, and a whole host of different problems at the corporate level, at the advisory level. One that I uh, am fond of pointing out is FIFA, the International uh, Soccer Federation. There was a very high-profile scandal a few years ago. Uh, they're an organization with a billion dollars in annual revenue, by the way. Nearly half of what they bring in comes from selling these broadcasting rights to the World Cup, which is the big kahuna of soccer tournaments. It's like the Super Bowl of soccer happens every four years. I'm probably butchering this. The real soccer fans are going to email me later and say, it's football. It's way bigger than the Super Bowl. What are you talking about? So FIFA, FIFA had a president. Um, this guy named Sepp Blatter, who stayed in power for 15 years, he's now facing a six-year ban from their ethics committee because while he was never personally indicted, a truckload of corruption happened under his watch. So one has to assume he knew what was happening. Basically, uh, you had 18 of the top FIFA officials indicted for bribery, and a majority of them have already entered a guilty plea. They were taking millions of dollars in bribes, and they were awarding these marketing, these television contracts to their specified cronies. It's even alleged, by the way, that the decision to put the World Cup in South Africa and Russia and Qatar was a result of bribery. Although, of course, the FIFA president dismisses that notion. But it's kickback city, and long tenure was right at the heart of this scandal. It was, this wasn't even the first time it's happened. I mean, they had an earlier uh, chairman of FIFA. Uh, you know, forgive me, I can't pronounce this guy's name, but I think it's Jao Havelange. Anyway, he was, he was in there for 24 years, between 74 and 1998, and he, he was uh, mired by allegations that he accepted bribery payments 
from a group which marketed broadcast rights for the World Cup also. So it wasn't even the first time it even occurred. No. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a reflection of um, some essential wisdom that we've heard for a very long time, that if you hold power, if you hold office for a very long time, um, it can lead to abuse of power. It rarely tends to lead to better government when someone is allowed to keep one seat of power for a long time. It, it leads to self-enrichment more often than not. And even if not every single long-tenured officer is going to participate in misconduct, it's a risk nobody should be willing to take because when it happens, the damage is very difficult to undo. And in this case, hundreds of millions of dollars were essentially sucked out of an organization uh, as a result of corruption. Yeah. Now, FIFA took some steps. Yeah. As soon as this scandal um, was publicized, the Ethics Commission of FIFA mobilized and recommended that they pass term limits on their president and on the members of their advisory council. Uh, and it passed by an overwhelming margin because FIFA not only wanted to clean up uh, the mess they had made, but they also wanted to reassure the public that they were an organization with some corporate integrity. Uh, and there's no better way to do that than, than term limits. Term limits sends a message to all the stakeholders that you can have faith in an organization because you know it's not going to be used as a vessel uh, for profiteering. And um, right. FIFA has, I think, in the last four years since this was passed, they haven't had another scandal. The United Kingdom Corporate Governance Code, by the way, I want to throw this out there, assumes that directors lose their independence after about nine years of service on the theory that they become too defensive of the status quo or too close to management to effectively fulfill their oversight role after that. And I think that's telling, and again, that's another, coming from another angle of people that come around this eight-year time period when it's really time to move on and have someone else come in and, and fill the position, even out there in the private world. It kind of reminds me of that scene from Office Space where they bring in the consultants and they're sitting down all the senior employees and asking, what is it you do around here again? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Think I'm going crazy. Nick and I try our best, but in some ways, Representative Hank Johnson of Georgia is the real star of our podcast. In May, Representative Johnson was at it again amusing the House Judiciary Committee as it discussed an amendment that would restrict the granting of amnesty to dreamers, that is, illegal aliens who are brought to the United States as children, if they were convicted of gun violations. Apparently, Johnson's argument was persuasive as the amendment offered by Matt Gates of Florida was soundly defeated. When I close my eyes and think about an illegal alien, I do think about somebody from out of the uh, world, some out of the world individual teeming with uh, tentacles and and uh, just a frightening uh, uh, entity. And then when I put guns in the hands of a frightening uh, monster, it, 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 it really raises, uh, you know, it heightens my, my sensitivity. I came across something else interesting, Nick. Um, in Science Magazine, there was an article a couple days ago about the National Institutes of Health at their main campus in Bethesda, Maryland. They have about 272 lab and branch chiefs. These are management types, not uh, scientists uh, directly, who oversee the um, research being done. And the uh, NIH is going to establish 
term limits on these 272 positions. They're long-term limits, they're 12 years, but they wanna start seeing some rotation, new ideas. There's nothing new under the sun, and don't worry, scientific knowledge is not going anywhere because they're only term limiting the bureaucrats, the administrators. But what's amazing to me, I, I read the story you emailed, what's amazing is the reasons they're giving for doing this. Yes. They said the yes. leaders have been held power for too long. A lot of them have been there 20 years or more, mm-hmm. with 17 of them being there more than 30 years, and they're blocking newer and more energetic talent from moving up. What does that sound like? I know. And also they want to encourage gender and ethnic, ethnic yeah. diversity. They said there's right? a lot of there's a lot of stodgy old white men who don't reflect the population at large and they don't reflect the diversity of our society, the diversity coming out of universities. What does that sound like? I know. And and the positions they actually described it as fiefdoms where the chiefs have power and resources. Um, there's a mm-hmm. quote in here from Hannah Valentine, who's their chief of diversity. Uh, about that, calling them fiefdoms. And what she's hinting at is when people control power and resources for too long, they tend to abuse it. They can abuse it for personal gain. We've seen it in Hollywood, seen in academia, industry, politics, and now even science. It's remarkable. Um, Term limit is such a universal idea. It's really a check on, I guess, the most obvious fundamental human behavior, which is greed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Another reason they gave, which is related to something we've been talking about recently on this podcast, is that um, people in the organization are frustrated that there's, they feel like there's no way they'll ever have a leadership position because people don't leave these jobs. They're cushy, you know, and there's a certain amount of politics involved in the National Institutes for Health, of course. And so you have younger people that have a lot to give, but they're not going to stick around. And maybe it does relate to the idea of adverse preselection, which we've talked about recently. Yeah. For sure. It's funny because they one of the most senior incumbents was also quoted here, the guy who's headed a lab at the National Institute of Allergy and Diseases for 37 years. He said, the appointment of more women could be a plus, but the coin of the realm still remains scientific excellence and productivity. So they're making the same garden variety excuses that you hear from like crooked mayors and city councilors and members of Congress who just want to cling to power for years and years on end. It's really funny how how predictable this is. Thank you for joining us for another episode of No Uncertain Terms. And thank you, those of you who provided comments and critiques of our podcast. If you haven't yet, please weigh in at podcast at termlimits.com. We're going to give a prize randomly to one of our respondents. Plus, We're going to collect all of your suggestions and hold a special meeting of our team this summer to discuss everyone. Be sure to tell us how you listen to the program. Do you listen via iTunes or the Apple Podcast app or maybe Google Play or Stitcher? Are you a subscriber? If not, please become one. We'll be back next week.